Listener Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. Tom Tilley here with Rihanna Patrick and our guest today, well, what can you say about Will Anderson, Rihanna? Oh, there's so much. And I guess for me, he was the person that introduced me to Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So that's my memory of Will. (laughs) Wow. Thank you, Will. What a gift. I imagine you're pretty happy about that. Um, We've got a really interesting interview with him today. We're not going to touch on Buffy, though, are we? No, we're not. We're talking about this book that he's written because he's talked about his time during the pandemic and he was meant to do this big career pivot out of radio back to a huge year of stand-up comedy. And obviously that did not happen. My career is now so old that Leonardo DiCaprio would not date it. So that's how long I've been around for. Um, Yeah, I was meant to be doing a huge year of comedy and instead I lost a month of work in a day and a year of work in a week. Yeah, so that is Will Anderson. So that that old career involved you, Rihanna. You were the newsreader on his breakfast show with Adam Spencer on Triple J in the late 90s, early 2000s. I was, all those centuries ago. (laughs) (laughs) So the interesting thing about this interview is that during the pandemic, uh, yeah, that's right, as we discussed, he didn't end up doing live comedy. He moved to Mullumbimby. He had some very strange conversations. So um, we're going to get right into that in our briefing. That's after today's headlines. Here they are. It is Friday, November 11. Chris Dawson's daughter has urged him to reveal where her mother's body is while delivering a victim impact statement before the Supreme Court in Sydney. Yeah, Chanel Dawson was very emotional as she told the court she'd endured 41 years of deceit, silence, trauma and gaslighting. She said the torture of not knowing what happened, of what you did with her body... Please tell us where she is. I hope you'll finally admit the truth to yourself. Chanel said her life had been shattered, saying she's found it difficult to trust men and she's being diagnosed with PTSD. She was four years old when the murder happened. So 74-year-old Chris Dawson was found guilty of killing his wife Lynette after she went missing from their Sydney home so that he could have an unfettered relationship with one of his high school students. He maintains his innocence and is filing an appeal against his conviction If that appeal fails, he'll likely spend the rest of his life in prison and the sentence will be handed down on December 2. US President Joe Biden is having a great week. Not only are the Democrats doing better than expected in the midterms, but US inflation rate is down. Yeah, so the data's come out overnight. It's now at 7.7% in the last 12 months. That's their inflation figure. That's down from 8.2% last month. This is the key factor. It's 20 basis points lower than expected. And that's led to a big rally on US share markets. Uh, At the time recording, the S&P 500 index was up about 4.5% and the tech-heavy NASDAQ index was up 6%, uh, which is good news for those poor billionaires. Yeah, we did a briefing on um, how much uh, the tech stocks going backwards has hurt billionaires just the other day. Check that out if you want. They'll be a bit happier today. What that big surge in the market shows is how closely people are watching this inflation data because that's going to give the signals on where interest rates are likely to go in the future. So uh, this lower than expected inflation number has given hope that the US Federal Reserve won't have to go as hard on future rate hikes. They've been hiking their rates at 75 basis points a pop compared to 50 and now 25 basis points here in Australia. So a lot of investors really hurting. But the main problem that they're still fighting is inflation, which hurts everybody. 
Health authorities are warning us to brace for a new nationwide COVID wave, with cases expected to peak around Christmas. So Queensland has upped their emergency status back to amber and are advising people to wear masks in high-risk settings. COVID hospitalisations in Queensland doubled over the last week. National case numbers are up 17% this week compared to last week. Yeah, and we've also been uh, urged to get our boosters if we haven't had one yet. Only about half of us who are eligible for a third COVID vaccine dose have had one, and just over 41% have had a fourth. And if you're immunocompromised, you're already eligible for a fifth dose. So you're pulling out the face mask again, Rihanna? I never stopped. Right. <laughs> so I, Amber alert or not, I've been masking the entire time. You're on red. I'm, I, I'm still in red, yeah. Well, tens of thousands of customers have left Optus in the month after its data breach. So the company confirmed customers are leaving uh, at a rate that's 50% higher than usual and new sales were down by 25% in October. Yeah, it's the first time that Optus has confirmed a loss of customers as a result of the breach. And Optus Chief Executive Kelly Bayer-Ross-Marin has told the Australian she believes the impact could have been worse, saying it's much less pronounced than it could have been. Mm, yeah, I don't know if she wants to downplay it too much. Uh, they've been through a very tough time. And I did note today there was a big full-page ad in the newspaper from Optus saying, it happened on our watch, no excuses, here's how we're going to do better in the future. Meanwhile, the opposition has slammed the government for not doing more to help Medibank customers whose abortion data was leaked. Um, they've accused the government of just showing empathy. Um, I did note, and we discussed it briefly earlier this week, that the government went a lot harder on Optus than they have gone on Medibank. But this data breach from Medibank, where they've started releasing very personal details, is an absolute nightmare. It is, and uh, while... Optus might not have lost the amount of customers that they thought. I mean, the trust has been lost, right? Oh, massively. So they're going to have to do a lot to win people back. That's unless, of course, Telstra get hacked as well. Not that I wish that to happen. Of course not. All right, up next, Will Anderson. All right, let's get into our chat with Will Anderson, all about his experience of the last few years, which he has detailed in a very funny memoir called I Am Not Fine, Thanks. Will, thanks for joining us on The Briefing. I wanted to know, you know, what was your 2020 supposed to be for you? Uh, it was supposed to be a year of stand-up comedy. So I'd, I'd had a quite lucrative breakfast radio, commercial breakfast radio <laughs> job that I finished at the end of 2019 because I... It's hard to do breakfast radio and do stand-up. They're just at opposite ends of the day and performing, you know, early in the morning and late at night just don't – you're not serving one of those masters very well. So I decided um, that I, 2020 was going to be my year of stand-up. So I had not one, not two – but three different stand-up shows that I was going to tour all over Australia <laughs> and the world. And uh, they say the secret of comedy is timing. So in April 2020, uh, the Melbourne Comedy Festival uh, was one of the first major events to be cancelled in Australia. So basically, the Australian Grand Prix and the Melbourne International Comedy Festival were the first thing, first time in Australia that we all realised, oh, hang on, this COVID thing that we're hearing about overseas is really going to have major ramifications to our way of life in Australia as well. And 2020 would have been my 25th year in a row 
at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival doing a new show. Yeah, that's how old I am. My career is now so old that Leonardo DiCaprio would not date it. So that's how long I've been around for. Um, yeah, I was meant to be doing a huge year of comedy and instead I lost a month of work in a day and a year of work in a week. And and as we all know, then the world really continued to shut down for the next 24 months. Well, most of our dreams were shattered in that year, Will, let's face it. Um but we all responded differently. Not all of us moved to Mullumbimby. Um, and as someone like you who hosts two shows, which are really based around skepticism, one about the advertising industry grew and the other about uh, the news media question everything, it kind of seems fitting that you would go to Mullumbimby because it's quite a skeptical place as well. But actually, it sounds like you were quite an outlier in that community. When we decided to move, it was, I think, it was when the bushfires were happening in the previous year. So, um, you know, the, the stakes, <laughs> yeah, I know, well, it's a cheap time to buy a house. I would recommend to anybody if you want to get some cheap real estate. Bushy outlook. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, when the fires are about 10 kilometres away from the place you're looking to purchase, they, they, they are very, what they call in the business, motivated sellers. Mm. Moving to the anti-vax capital of Australia at the start of the global pandemic clearly had a whole range of issues and, you know, made it hard to fit into the community. But I love the alternative thinking up there. I think, you know, I've always been attracted to people who have different ideas, even if I don't agree with them, I like hearing about them. But obviously when COVID came along, the stakes of that game were really raised incredibly. And suddenly there was a real life ramifications for these questions that were being asked and these conversations that were being had. And the greater difficulty, Tom, was the fact that I had so many friends up there, people that I loved, admired, engaged with, who had ideas that were so completely different to the ideas that I had about the world that it was, you know, a real challenge in trying to separate good people from bad ideas. The idea that your friends or people that you admired and liked could believe things that were completely different to what you believed. So tell us about the sort of conversations you would have as you walked around town. I mean, do strangers come up to you and want to talk to you because they know who you are or do you just stick with the people you know and was it just non-stop rhetorical questions that people answered for themselves the whole time? Yeah, well, the good news is that, um, you know, as the only person who was wearing a mask, at least I was anonymous for a while <laughs> until they worked out who the guy in the mask was and then I was highly identifiable because I was the only guy wearing a mask. I remember at the start I would have friends from Melbourne because, uh, you know, obviously they were the first state that really started to lock down substantially and everybody was wearing masks and they would be ringing me saying, are people wearing masks in the shops in Mullumbimby? And I was like, mate, people don't wear shoes in the shops in Mullumbimby, you know, people aren't wearing socks in the, and they're not wearing shirts. And this is just the staff members I'm talking to you about at the moment. <laughs> so I had a bit of a rule that if I was going to make jokes about the community, I would first have to make those jokes in the community. So <laughs> there's a beautiful little venue up there called the Brunswick Picture House. And I would do these regular small shows. And for a while I was even doing them during COVID because there was no COVID up in that part of the world for a, for a substantial proportion of the early days. And so life was pretty much as normal for a while. And so these jokes that I would do, I would do there. Well, one of the things you talk about during your time in Mullum is apple cider vinegar and the conversations you would have around that. Has your opinion of apple cider vinegar changed since writing this book? 
this is the old school snake oil and apple cider is just <laughs> the modern incarnation of old school snake oil and the, the story of it is absolutely incredible but if you move to the northern rivers of new south wales 95 percent of the conversations you have for the rest of your life will somehow tangentially involve apple cider vinegar it does not matter what you are talking about it's like oh you've got a bit of a sore throat what you need is some apple cider vinegar <laughs> so <laughs> I, I think the book is about hopefully contradictions you know the idea that you know people are all sorts of things and that i myself am all sorts of things and that so so much of our society you know when we really get in trouble is when we like to look at things as binaries like often we talk about non-binary in regard to sex sexuality gender but the truth of it is that non-binary thinking you know non-black and white thinking is really what we need part of the frustration through covid through modern politics through advertising through the media is that we are sold simple answers to complex questions then then become incredibly frustrated when there isn't actually a simple solution. The problem was that we believed there was a simple solution in the first place. And so often this is what happens around when people are selling snake oil is the idea that they are offering you a simple solution to a complex problem. This is so often what happens when people get involved in conspiratorial thinking or go down rabbit holes because there is something complex going on in society and they are looking for a simple solution, an answer, an explanation of what is going on. Well, I feel like you've gone into these deep areas and you're obviously thinking about a lot of things during this time when you had this intentional year or more off. But I mean, what did you realise after writing this book and what did you realise about yourself and the way that you had approached this time that you had on your hands? The book is hopefully funny. It was just meant to be funny. You know, like it was really, it's it's like it's an eight-hour stand-up show. It's not meant to – in fact, I make a very, like, strong point. I, you know, I, I write in the book that if you're coming to the book for answers, then you've come to the wrong place. That's not the point <laughs> of the book. You know, the like if, if I had the answers, the book would cost a lot more and it'd come with a series of tapes <laughs> and T-shirts and seminars that you would also have to attend. I'm not here to tell you that I have the answers and, in fact – you know, the central premise is that I don't think that anyone has the answers. And, you know, I quote my favourite piece of scripture, which is the opening theme music to the TV show Different Strokes, what might be right for, uh, you know, you might not be right for some, you know, that idea that, you know, yes, Jordan Peterson's 10 rules might be good for Jordan Peterson, but it doesn't mean that those exact 10 rules would work for you because you're not Jordan Peterson. And anyone who tells you that their set of rules will, you know, fix your life, I think is the wrong way to look at life. I'm interested, Will, you keep bringing up Jordan Peterson. You've also mentioned you have a, a terrible back. Is that because you actually love his rules, particularly rule number one? Stand up Was straight that with stand your shoulders up straight? back. Yeah, yeah. well, that, I feel personally attacked by that. <laughs> That's why you hate him. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always like my funny one is, and I, I always love if you if you've got twelve rules for life and one of them is stand up straight and one of them is make your bed, you've actually got ten rules for life. <laughs> yeah, you've just padded out the other two. And for don't the lie sake of the book. is another one. <laughs> um, so what I'm hearing from you, you're really observing the chaos of information that we're living in in the moment, and how hard it is to find truth and objectivity. And by acknowledging that complexity and the challenge of that, it helps us be more compassionate to people that maybe take different views from our own. One of the things that I talk about at the end is the idea that we're going to have to sacrifice to get these people back. Everyone's lost somebody down a rabbit hole. And the truth is that we just can't leave them there. 
Because if we leave them there, this is where we get this world where yoga instructors are walking next to neo-Nazis at rallies because they have both gone down rabbit holes and they've been ostracized from the rest of, you know, their family and society and they've found each other. And they are not two people who should be hanging out together, you know. And <laughs> At Tweed Heads or Mullen Bimbi near the 5G Towers or any yeah. of those places. So for me, if we want them back at Christmas dinner, if you want your uncle back, if you want your cousin back, if you want your brother or sister back, I think we need them back. And I think that we need to understand that we all believe stupid things and we need to offer them a way back. But part of that's going to be not bringing it up. Like I mean, I have a friend who wrote to the Vatican, and this is a true story and this is a person that I know, uh, wrote to the Vatican during COVID to demand his umbilical cord and real birth certificate back because apparently he believed that the Vatican keep a copy of your real birth certificate and some of your umbilical cord. And if you write to them, they'll return them, which is, and he wrote to the Vatican asking for it back. Now, otherwise the, a normal guy, pretty much, or otherwise a normal guy. And oh, the amount of self restraint it takes for me not to bring that up every time I see him, <laughs> you know, heard back from the Vatican yet? You got your umbilical cord back yet? Like, well, that's I mean, your gesture of compassion is to. It's bite my your gesture tongue. of compassion. Bite my tongue. Because otherwise, these quite lovely, good people with families who I've known all my life are going to get pushed into hanging out with terrible people with terrible ideas. And so I do think that we have a responsibility in that. That was the one and only Will Anderson. Um, get his book, I'm Not Fine, thanks, or catch him on Question Everything, the ABC TV show with uh, our very own Jan Fran. And there, there were some really great deeper messages in that conversation, Rihanna, about, I guess, accepting each other, even though we might have some crazy ideas that we got off the internet. Yeah, and I think that bit that he talked about towards the end about bringing in those family members and bringing those family members back that have gone down those rabbit holes was something I had not really thought about. And I, I'm like Will, I will have conversations with people around things that might not be what I believe, but I'm always happy to find out why people believe those things. But I guess when you leave them there, what happens then? You love a good rabbit hole, right? I do. <laughs> well, yeah, and I think the timing of this conversation is great because it, I'm just realising now that the pandemic actually was a really divisive time. Um, so many of us were anxious, fired up, looking for answers on the internet, um, looking at other people and just struggling to work out how they arrived at such wild points of view. And yeah, maybe we are actually going through a bit of a reconciliation healing process and the message from Will is a good one to help us on that journey. I think it gets you thinking, this book. Totally. All right, we've reached the end of the working week. So tomorrow in your feed will be the weekend briefing with Jamila Rizvi. Who's on this week, Jamila? This weekend, I've had a chat with Brooke Blurton. You probably remember her as the contestant on The Bachelor during the Nick Cummins season who left the show on her own terms. She wasn't booted like she was supposed to be. Uh, she bailed out just before the final. Despite that, she did return. She returned as the Bachelorette with everybody competing to win her heart. And she was the first Indigenous woman and also the first bisexual person to compete on that show. And it meant that people of all genders signed up to be part of it. In this conversation, I've tried to push past, though, the woman that we met on our TV screens. And I've talked to Brooke about everything from mental health to young people, her childhood, uh, what it's like growing up queer and then being a trailblazer for queer people on a show that is all about romantic love. And also looking forward to the future, what she plans, what the Uluru statement means for her and 
what she wants next when it comes to love. Yeah, well, her memoir's doing really well. Um, a few people I know have read that. They're really loving it. Um, that'll be a great interview on The Weekend Briefing. Thank you so much, Jamila. And thank you to the hardworking Briefing team, executive producer Dan Mullins, uh, news producers Eleanor Harrison Dengate, Brooke Lowther, our socials team Sarah Boll and Poppy Manzi, and our editor Matt Kuzkuri. Listener.